Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. First question for this class is from me and it says, what is the health belief model? So the health belief model is going to fall in domain to kind of our counseling, also community nutrition realm. And this is going to be an important model to help us understand our clients or our customers more. So with the health belief model, what it is, is it's helping you to understand what is going to cause someone to want to be invested, want to be kind of involved in a program. And what we're saying is that there's four different beliefs and thinking that, you know, these are all different reasons that could cause you to have what's called a health motivation to have action. So the first one is perceived susceptibility. So this is saying that if you're feeling like you have perceived um, susceptibility, that you're going to potentially feel motivated to take action. So for example, if you have a family history of alcoholism, right, you might be worried, oh, I should be careful with my drinking because I'm worried I put, could potentially get this disease. Next, you could also be motivated by perceived severity. So this is going to help to motivate you with thinking about, you know, if you think it's severe. This condition severe, right? We saw this with COVID where people said, no, oh, if I just get COVID, it'll be like the flu. So they're not going to be motivated by that to be a change. Versus maybe you thinking about like, oh, if I was doing drunk driving, the consequences could be severe. That might be something to think about in terms of like an alcoholism perspective. Next, we have perceived benefits. So you, if you feel like there's a benefit to you, you're probably going to do something if you don't think there's going to be a benefit to you, you're likely not going to do it. And then perceived barriers saying, you know, what are some, you know, barriers for you meeting this goal, right? This can kind of set you back a little bit. So the health belief model, when we know where our patients, clients, students kind of fall in this, we can kind of grab onto, okay, do they think they're susceptible? Do they think it's serious? Do they see there's any benefits? What do they see as the cons? And kind of grab onto that to help motivate them to take this action. Next up, we have another question from me. I said, the head of the infectious disease at your hospital is unsure how to handle COVID-19. To better understand what he should do, he calls the heads of infectious disease at four other hospitals and uses their advice to make the decision. What type of decision making is this? So this one is gonna be one that's called the Delphi technique. And what we're saying with the Delphi technique is this is when you're consulting experts, heads of something, people with a lot of knowledge, and you're going to them individually to ask them, what would you do? What would you do? What would you do? Unlike a focus group, it's not going to kind of come to a group answer. But instead of a Delphi, 
your consultations almost with the area experts is going to allow you to make a decision. So Delphi, you're going to the heads of something, could be the right department, could be of hospitals. You're asking them their advice, taking it, and then you're on your own making an answer. Next up we have, what is motion economy? So this is gonna be talking about in domain four, and this is a great example of how a lot of this exam is vocab. A lot of the time when I have my one-on-one -on -one students spend a few days just working on improving their vocab, their exam scores on practice go up significantly. So anytime you're going through practice questions and you're like, I'm not sure what that is, throw it into my favorite thing, Google, right? So with our motion economy, motion economy is gonna be all about removing unnecessary steps. So it's setting things up so that they're going kind of the most smooth, most efficiently. One thing that I think of here is one holiday season, my cousin actually worked for UPS and he was telling us like, oh, they have this weird train where they tell you like, step out of the truck with this foot, you know, kind of have this type of pace, push off here and, you know, pull the packages this way. And that was their motion economy to help make things more efficient, right? This could be putting, you know, the soup bowls next to the soup so you don't have to walk across um, the kitchen. It's making it more efficient by grouping things together. Great vocab one. Next up, we have a question from Samantha. So she says, looks like this is out of Inman. She says, very perplexed by this question I got wrong. She said, my answer is B, cleaning. But according to the answer key Inman 2022, the correct answer is C, labor costs. And she says, I have notes in multiple places that labor costs are operational costs. Please help. Of course, we're here to help you. So here's the question. All the following would be operational costs except what? Utilities, cleaning, um, there are labor costs in our laundry service. And one thing to think about here, right? So operational costs, it's kind of what it takes you to kind of keep the lights on, keep going. But for me, operational costs would include kind of like the cost of my office, you know, kind of keeping the office. And so here, and I've had a few students come across this question where we're saying that the answer is going to be C, labor costs. We want to be thinking because labor is not necessarily going to be kind of fixed, you know, kind of month to month. And it's more kind of in the category of our more variable expenses too. Overall, this question isn't really that Great. So again, you want to make sure you're questioning some questions too, because sometimes the wording doesn't really make it clear why it's wrong. And, you know, Inman unfortunately doesn't have the explanation. So I feel free to add it on the Facebook page. Next question is math. Grab a calculator. It says your patient is on TPN getting a total of 2,300 calories. You're going to provide 55% of their daily calories is carbs. How many liters of 60% dextrose solution should be given a day? So with this one, where you want to start is you want to think, okay, I need to get to grams of dextrose. So how are we going to get there, right? So we're looking at, okay, if we know 2,300 calories a day and 55% of them are dextrose, that means 100... 1,265 calories are from carbs. 
Then we also know, right, that one gram of dextrose is equal to 3.4 calories. So to find the grams of dextrose, we divide our calories by our 3.4, and then we are getting our 372 grams. And if we know that the solution is 60% dextrose, what I like to do is do a little proportion. So we're saying that there's going to have to be 372 grams in some amount, right, of milliliters of dextrose solution. And then we're saying that should be equal, right, to 60 over 100. So if we do 300, oops, 372 times 100 divided by 60, we're kind of solving across the proportion. We're getting 620, and that would be in milliliters. So if we wanted liters of dextrose-containing IV fluids, it would be 0.62 liters. Next up, I put a picture, and I said, what are the different nutrition concerns in MNT for ileostomy versus colostomy? So ostomy, we want to be thinking that the intestines are brought up to, through the peritoneum, up to your abdominal skin. And so when we're having that, what we want to be thinking of is we're bypassing a lot of the intestine. So if we think about the orders of the intestines, right, being duodenum, jejunum, ileum, colon, when you have an ostomy higher up, you're at higher risk of dehydration because a lot of your output's going to be very liquidy, right? If you think about the GI tract, you're going to be reabsorbing most of the water in the colon. So if you have an ileostomy or a trochlectomy, a lot of the liquid will be out, will be liquid. Versus if you have a colostomy, you should expect it to be a little bit thinner. And in both of these, we're worried about dehydration. We're also worried about malabsorption because depending on how high up the resection is, right, you're bypassing some valuable pieces of the intestine. Anytime you're doing a tube feeding question, and you're feeling like, oh, I'm really not sure if I'm doing it correctly, you know, in terms of multiplying and dividing. And this is one of the most common ways people make math mistakes. And if you, this is um, a trouble issue for you, definitely check out the nutrition support calculations recorded class. But you want to keep your units tight to get it right. So you want to think that you need to cancel things out. So for example, if I was going to try to go from milliliters, let's say I have a thousand milliliters, to calories, right? And I know I have a thousand milliliters and my solution is 1.5 calories per milliliter. And you're thinking, oh, do I multiply or divide? One thing you wanna think about with your units is you need to cancel things out, right? So if I'm having milliliters and my milliliters and my calories per milliliter, right? I need to cancel out milliliters. So if I do 1,000 milliliters times 1.5 calories per milliliters, right? We think about our denominator is gonna cancel out. So especially when you're getting confused, make your units line up. And this is gonna allow you to really notice, oh wait, they didn't cancel, this isn't right. Or they did cancel, this is much better. So not uncommon to get confused with the math. Okay, next up, I shared a great chart 
on diarrhea. And for those of you guys listening on the podcast, if you don't have access to the Facebook page, just shoot me an email at DanaJFryerNutrition at gmail.com and I'll send you the picture I'm talking about. It's a chart that has the different types of diarrhea. And I said, what type of diarrhea would C. diff be? And so the options are we have osmotic, where we're saying that this is caused from excessive osmotic forces. And this is going to be caused by things like lactose intolerance. It could also be using a laxative. And this is relieved by fasting. So thinking about C. diff, this is not going to be a good contender because C. diff happens all the time, no matter what. Okay, next up we have secretory. So this one we're saying there's an increased electrolyte secretion. This is typically from toxins, you know, placed by bacteria or pathogens, and it persists when fasting. So this is actually going to be the type of diversity we diff is because it's from that toxin, the C. diff, and it keeps going when you're fasting. The other two types of diarrhea we'll see are malabsorptive, where we're saying there's just failure of absorption of the nutrients. And this could be caused from pancreatic insufficiency, liver disease, right, causing decreased bioabsorption. It could be celiac disease, too. And this one is relieved by fasting. So this we see a lot in, like, short bowel, too. And then we have exudative. So this is due to inflammation. So things like inflammatory bowel disease, diverticulitis, these are all going to be different causes of inflammation. And exudative will also continue while you're fasting. So remember with diarrhea, even though it seems more simple, really think about kind of those different types, really be thinking about, um, about the different vocab words. Next up, we have which of the following conditions would most likely cause an elevated albumin. And so when we're thinking about albumin, we want to be thinking that albumin is going to be decreased in, is going to be decreased in our states of volume overload, right? Because it's going to spread it out. First, we're going to see an increase in an albumin when we're having something like dehydration too. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.